Stand by for the kick. Stand by for the kick, the announcer said. How many of you just right now, even though you may have no idea what you just watched, your heart's beating a little bit right now, like just cheering him on, yeah. How many of you have any clue who Dave Waddle is uh, before now, right? Yeah, maybe just a few of you, right? And yet something inside of us wants to stand up and cheer. What you just saw was one of the greatest American Olympic moments in history. Dave Waddle comes from 20, 30 yards back to win the Olympic gold medal. We love comeback victories. Something stirs inside of us that longs for a victory as well. And this morning, I am so excited to tell you, you have one, an even greater victory than that. You have a victory. The reason we're celebrating today, the reason that we're here, the reason you got all dressed up this morning, and the reason that maybe you usually are anywhere else on a Sunday morning, the reason that you're here today is because we are having a celebration. Because Jesus has won an overwhelming, come-from-behind victory over your sin and your death, over my sin and my death. And that is why we celebrate. It's the truth that we sung about again and again this morning in the songs that we've already done. I don't even think I needed to get up here this morning. That was incredible. I may be a little biased because I'm married to one of the singers, but I think we have the world's best worship team. Can we thank them again for all that they've done? That was awesome. So good. We have so many talented uh, artists and musicians here at Hope Des Moines in our community. One of them is Sarah. Sarah, give us a little wave over there. I interrupted her. There she is. Uh, one of our many talented uh, artists. I even just invited to, to paint live during the message uh, today. And if you can't see that from the angle that you are, you're going to want to be sure to check it out when she's done. But I just asked Sarah to paint whatever God lays on her heart. And so I am giving you permission. This is a pastor giving you permission to not listen to me the whole, well, listen, you don't have to watch. Uh, and you can watch Sarah as well as that will be pretty amazing. So be sure to check it out when that's all done. So back to the story. Back to the story. If I had something I wanted to communicate to you this morning, it would simply be this. Paul says it this way. The Apostle Paul, the writer of a lot of the New Testament, the back part of your Bible, says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 up on the screen. Let's read this nice and loud together. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Of first importance, Paul says. Everybody say first. First importance, not second importance, not once a year, twice a year on a holiday, uh, not just because I'm a pastor and it happens to be my job and that's what I'm supposed to do on Easter. This is John Annenson as a follower of Jesus Christ telling you this. If I had one word for you this morning, if you forget everything else I say and if you're distracted and if you really want to look at your phone the whole time, you can do that, but I want you to get this one thing. The message of the gospel, the message of Christianity, the message of the Bible, the message of the church is this. There is a God who loves you, who loves every single one of you with a love that is more powerful than any other force in this world. One of the most famous verses in all of scripture, you're probably familiar with it. You can read about it in the Bible or you can see it painted on some guy's chest going crazy at a football game. It's John 3:16. John 3:16, for God so loved the world, for God, God so loved you, 
this morning, that he gave you his one and only son. He thought it was worth the death of his own son for you to know how much you are loved this morning. Don't miss that. Don't walk away from here this morning. Say, great, I went to an Easter service. I pray that you would be radically challenged by that thought this morning, that there is no greater love in the universe than your creator has for you, than your savior has for you. And that love is stronger than any other force in the world. And this morning, if you would slow down from your crazy busy life, and for a few moments, if you would open up your heart to this message, I believe that you might encounter that same love that changed the world over 2,000 years ago at the tomb on Easter morning. If you follow, want to follow along with the story this morning, you can turn to John chapter 20. If you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible app, yes, I'm giving you permission to look at your phone. If you're going to tweet, tweet about the sermon. That's fine. If you want to take out your Bible, that would be great. And there's plenty of Bibles around the worship center. Grab one on your way out. Grab 17. Grab 28 of them and give them to all your friends. That's on us. We want to get this story in your hands. And so we pick up the story in the Gospel of John, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John tell the story of Easter, but particularly I want to focus in on John this morning. And so we arrive at the scene and we read this, that early on the first day of the week, Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, this tomb that we had uh, shipped here overnight, Amazon Prime from Galilee, and put right here in our church for us, uh, got it here. They went to the tomb, and in, instead of finding death, they found life. Jesus wasn't there. She goes to the tomb, and the stone had been removed from the entrance. But let's pause there, because in order to understand this, you've got to understand how our good friend, the late Paul Harvey, used to say the rest of the story. And now we need to go to the other side of the stage, because get this. The last time we saw Jesus, he was dead. The last time we saw Jesus, he was hanging dead on a Roman instrument of torture. You know it as a cross. Some of you are wearing it around your neck this morning. That's a little strange, isn't it? If that's where the story ended, that would be very strange. Jesus was hanging dead, lifeless, done, game over. The same Jesus who claimed to be God, who claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is dead. If Friday was the end of the story, it was Friday, but Sunday was coming. And heaven said, stand by for the kick. Wait for it. Wait for it. Hell, you think you're winning. Darkness, you think you're winning. Evil, you think you're winning. Stand by for the kick. How could it get any worse, the followers of Jesus thought? How could it get any worse? Back to the story. Mary goes to the tomb, and instead of finding Jesus' body, she's greeted by two angels, and we pick it up in verse 13. They asked her, woman, now keep in mind, Mary is one of the best friends of Jesus. She's given her life for him. She's followed him everywhere. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And Mary's response was, Duh, right? That's not in your translation. Okay. <laughs> they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. She's freaking out. If you went to your best friend or your, your late spouse's or a family member's gravesite and it was dug up, if they were buried in a tomb and the stone had been rolled away and their body was gone, you would be a little freaked out too. So she doesn't know where they is, where is, and so... This, she turned around, it says, and in that moment, she saw Jesus standing there. 
if you think that Easter's boring, if you think that this is just a church service that you're going to come and, and leave, I want you to put yourself in that moment and imagine that the person you love the most, that you just buried in a grave, and you turn around and expecting to go to their grave site, they're standing next to you. And I would imagine Jesus is like smiling, like, I'm back, right? But he doesn't do that. Watch what Jesus does. He plays with her a little bit. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And now this next line, if you read your Bible and don't just laugh once in a while, you're not reading your Bible correctly. Because this is the goofiest part of the whole Easter story right here, okay? Thinking that he was the gardener, I guess he's like the janitor now of the garden tomb or something like that. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll go get him. And then Jesus says, Mary. Mary. And everything changes. The moment that Jesus calls out her name, everything changed. Notice when he called her woman, she didn't realize it was him, but when he called her by her real name, Mary, she immediately turned and she cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's you. The power of a name. And if you think, John, that's kind of a weird detail to focus on. I mean, aren't we here to celebrate Easter and Jesus' victory over sin and death and hell and darkness and evil? Absolutely. But don't miss this fact. Think about, think about how good your name sounds when spoken in love. How good your name sounds by spoken not just in love, but spoken to you by somebody that knows you and that knows your story and that knows everything about you today. You know, the churchy masks that we tend to put up to look like everything's okay and we got it all figured out? He sees right through that, the same way that he looked into the eyes of Mary at the garden tomb. Names are powerful. It's, it's powerful when somebody speaks to us and remembers our name. I was thinking about it this way. Usually on a weekend service here, before and after our, our, our four, excuse me, three different services on the weekend, I'm walking around before and after worship, and, and I'm just walking around, you know, looking for people that I haven't met yet. And so I just play along with me with two different scenarios here. So imagine I just came walking up, and, and I, let's say that Patrick hadn't put his name, on, name tag on yet like a good Lutheran. Good job, Patrick. And I just walked up, and I didn't know Patrick at all. I, guys, what do you... I'm not with it. I'm not that hip because I'm a pastor. What do we say to each other? Like when we see, like kind of get, hey, you know, dude, right? So what if I just came up to you and said, hey, hey, bro, thanks for <laughs> pound it. You know, thanks for coming to Easter. We'll see you, right? How do you, how do you feel right now? Eh, not that great, right? Okay, so now let's play it again. Scenario number two, I come up and I know that his name is Patrick now. And I came up and I looked you in the eyes and said, Patrick, well, we can do that too. Wow, I didn't get a hug. <laughs> That's right. Patrick, I am so glad that you are here, and I believe it is no accident that God brought you to Easter Day, and he has something that he wants to say to you. I love you, Patrick. Thanks for being here. God bless you, brother. How are you feeling right now? Pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. Give Patrick a round of applause. There he is. Nice job. That's a, that's a game changer. I got a hug on Easter. How about that? That's a game changer. It changes everything when you hear your name spoken in love by somebody that knows you. And so in that spirit, God knows your name this morning. 
I don't, but he does, and you can help us with that. So on your chairs today, some of you have already figured this out because you're good church-going people, but if you haven't, that's okay. There are name tags on every one of your chairs or underneath or even up upstairs for those of you that are up there. And then there's writing utensils, a marker or a pen or something like that. This is an all-play. We'd encourage you to write your name legibly on there and then stick it on the front of your shirt if you can. Uh, and if you're like, no, I'm not going to do this, everybody turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're not too cool for this. Just tell them that right now. You're not too cool for this. Just tell them that right now. Okay? This is going to be really handy later, so I would really encourage you to do it. Just your first name is fine. Just your first name is fine. That would be great. Names are powerful. It's a powerful experience to write your name. You are given that name. Name is something that's bestowed to you. You don't earn it. It's an identity that's given to you. Just to show of hands quick, how many parents are in the room, kids of any age? How many parents? A lot of you, right? Parents, do you remember the moment when you first gave your name to your child right after they were born and you said it out loud for the first time? you remember that? It's a powerful experience. My wife Tiffany and I got to experience that exactly five years ago yesterday, the last time that Easter was on March 31st. We had a service last night here uh, as well. Our son, Caleb, was born, yes, that's right, on Easter morning. So the running joke is that the pastor's kid tried to show up Jesus on Easter morning, right? And we love him so much. And I remember that moment. Parents, just go back in time with me to that moment you're in the hospital room, maybe with your first child. I will never forget that moment. I mean, I am, a, I am a mess. I'm more of a mess than Tiffany is, and she just gave birth. And I, I'm just weeping, and the, the nurse kind of cleans Caleb off a little bit. And then the first person that gets to hold him is me. And it was just a few hours ago, five years ago. And I'll never forget when the nurse put him in my arms, and she said, Okay, Dad, what's his name? <laughs> And I said, man, I've never been more proud. Caleb Lee Anson. And it's like in that moment, (laughs) I was giving him much more than a name. I was giving him an identity. We named him after the, the Caleb of the Old Testament, of Caleb and Jonathan, that they were brave warriors and they were men of God. And so every single night before he goes to bed, I try to every single night, I try to remind him, Caleb, never forget who you are. Never forget who you are because this world is going to try to place other names and other identities on you, other name tags on you that's not who you are. Every night I'd say, Caleb, I love you, I'm proud of you, and you are a mighty man of God. Never forget that. But the problem is that we do. We don't just forget our name, we forget who we truly are. If you're here today, regardless of what you believe about Jesus and the church and all of that, You didn't create yourself. God did, and he breathed breath into your lungs, which means he knows you better than anybody else. And before the world or anybody else gets to say who you are, he says, you are a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Caleb Lee Anderson. And yet we forget, we grow up as adults, and it seems like as we go through our lives, the world has a way of placing other names other identities on us, just like the name tag that you have. The world comes along, and sometimes we stick them on ourselves. Sometimes the world does that for us. 
Sometimes they're placed on us. Sometimes we place them on ourselves with these other identities that are not true of who we are in Christ. It's like we, we get these name tags. We get these identities, weak, failure, addict, tough guy, the strong woman that doesn't show emotion, the disappointment, the loner, the control freak, the workaholic, whatever it is for you today, the doubter, the cool kid that doesn't have any problems. And we get these identities put on us, and the danger is, is that you and I will go our entire adult lives and never look down and ask ourselves the question, why am I the way I am? Why am I living the way? Is that who I truly am? Or am I just living into what somebody else said about me? Is that who I truly am? Our names are powerful things. And if we don't look down and ask ourselves, we'll miss it. And so I thought, you know, it's Easter. I'm guessing there's a few name tags, a few different identities that, that we probably represented here today. And, and maybe this is it for some of you. I kind of blew up these name tags so you can see them a little bit more. For, for some of you, it's this. It's the skeptic. It's the doubter. It's the cynic. It's the one that says, yeah, John, this is, this is cute and everything, but man, we all know it's just a hoax. <laughs> We, we all know that it's just a, a bunch of made-up stories. It's kind of like a fairy tale, you know, something that we read about. It's, it's just a, if it's so important, John, if it's so life-changing, if you're, if you're going all out for this Jesus thing, why can't I see it? How do I know it's real? And this is the exact name tag, the identity of a man named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel is the main character that's, he's based in the, the movie Case for Christ that just came out a few years ago, and he, he's chronicled in this story, and it's, it's a powerful story of him as a skeptic, as a doubter, really an atheist, but he's very intelligent. He's a legal writer, an editor for the Chicago Tribune back in the 80s, and you're going to see in this clip, you're going to know that it's the 80s because he's just rocking the handlebar mustache there. Maybe some of you had one of those. Maybe some of you still do. That's okay, too. But you're going to know extremely intelligent, and he's asking all these same questions. He wants nothing to do with Jesus. He wants nothing to do with the church. And here he comes along, a skeptic, and watch what happens in this first clip when he encounters his wife who's started to hang out with him, some strange people called Christians. And watch what happens when his skeptic identity starts to get challenged. Let's take a look. Lee's got questions. He's got doubts, and maybe you do as well. He's right. The entire Christian faith hangs on the resurrection. Paul even says in one of his writings, he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what in the world are we doing here? We literally got all dressed up for nothing, right? Our entire faith hangs on the fact, did Jesus come out of that grave or not? And if he didn't, the whole thing falls apart. And so that's really what Strobel dedicates the next couple years of his life to, is trying to prove everything that we're talking about today wrong. And that it really has nothing to do with my life, and it's completely irrelevant, and we should just shove it to the side. And he, he goes after every single possible claim. Everything that you watch on those late-night documentaries, you know, like, who is the real Jesus? Find out at 9, 7, 7, you know, whatever it is. He goes through every single one of those possible things, every doubt that you have probably had of like this whole Jesus thing, and he keeps running up to up against what thousands of other researchers have come up against. 
There is a mound of evidence that is inescapable in support of the fact that Jesus really did die and he really did come walking out of that grave. The over 500 witnesses that saw him, the medical accounts that Jesus really did die, the credibility of the ancient manuscripts, more credible than any other ancient manuscript in history, proves that Jesus truly came back from the grave. And so my challenge to you today is I love what his colleague challenges him with. So check it out. What are you afraid of? Look into it. Check it out. Are you afraid that you're going to find the truth? I mean, if you do, that'd be awesome. I would encourage you two things today. Go home later today, and after you have your Easter ham, watch Case for Christ. And then come back and tell me that you don't think that it's real. Watch the film. Ask yourself the question. Do the research. So many people think, oh my word, we got religion over here and we got science over here. And oh my word, all the smart people, you're just asking us to check our brains at the door and take a leap of faith. No, I think you should use all of your brain and I think you should do every single ounce of research possible and I believe that you'll find that a man came walking out of the grave and because of it, you have life today. You have breath in your lungs as you're sitting there. Do the research. Look into it. At some point, if you're a skeptic or a cynic today, you've got to look down at your name tag and say, is that who I'm going to be for the rest of my life? Is this what I'm going to pass on to my children that mom or dad floated? They never really stood for anything because they never looked into it. At some point, even as a skeptic, you've got to look into the grave and you've got to discover it for yourself. Maybe it's time to pull off that identity. But for some of you, it's not so much the skeptic you're saying today. You're like, John, I, I believe it. And believe it or not, I've tried it. This whole church thing. And I am completely jaded today. That's, that's my name tag. That's what's underneath there. I, I've tried this whole church thing. Maybe you're here and you're like, I've come. I've even come to Hope Des Moines. And you people are weird. Yeah, we are. And you people are, well, I went to a church before, you might say, and I just had a terrible experience. I, I got judged. I got, I got kind of pushed to the side because of kind of who I am. It's a bunch of hypocrites, and I, I just had a terrible experience. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. So I, I'm a cynic. I, I, I'm a little jaded. And if this has been your experience with the church, hear me say today, I am so sorry. And my question for you today is, does it have to stay there? Is this how your story's going to end? Because I will tell you this, living bitter and jaded when it comes to church is an exhausting way to live, and it will steal your joy. Look into it. Give it a second chance. Check it out, and it doesn't have to end there, and nobody knows that better than, well, a gentleman named Roger that came walked walking into Hope Des Moines about seven or eight years ago, and he looked a little something like that. That's not an exact picture, but it's pretty darn close. He was a cross between Santa and Hell's Angels. I mean, he was right there. And we have all sorts of people. I mean, we're in the city. We're we're a church that's in the city. We're an urban church, and we see all sorts of people. This is back when we were at Hubble Elementary School about seven or eight years ago, and he came walking up uh, after I got done preaching, and he just came walking up as a lot of people do. And so imagine this guy. He's about 6'5" about 275 pounds. His biceps are bigger than my body and he's coming up and he's gunning for me and I can see and I'm like, this isn't, I don't think he's coming up for prayer. And he's coming up and he comes and he gets right up in my face, like no personal space whatsoever. He's got barbed wire, you know, tattoos on his biceps and he just looks right at me, right in the eyes like this, points his finger and says, hey, are you the pastor here? 
And literally in that moment, I thought to myself, I am going to die. I am literally going, this is how it's going to end. This gentleman is going to rip my head off, but what a way to go out after preaching at church. So that's, this is the end of it. And it didn't take me long to realize that he had some things that he needed to get off his chest. And I said, yes, I'm the pastor here. And then he went for the juggler and he said, so what's your name? And I just kind of freaked out in an effort to save my life and last a little bit longer. I just blurted out, Mike Householder. I said, no, I didn't, I didn't actually. <laughs> Mike's our senior pastor. I didn't throw him under the bus there. Hopefully I have a job after this if he hears the, the message. I said, no, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pastor John. Is there anything that I can help you with? I, I hadn't met him before. He'd been a part of the church for a while. He said, I want you to know about a year ago, when I first walked into this place, I was pretty much done with the church. I'd been divorced about eight or nine years ago, and because of that, I got basically kicked out of two other churches I tried to join. And I said, by the way, that would never happen here. <laughs> and then he said, well, I got divorced, and then a couple years later, I met this lovely woman, and we got married, and a year and a half later, cancer took her away from me. So yeah, I'm a little jaded against the church, this whole Jesus thing, this whole religion thing, and I want you to know the only reason that I came walking in here about a year ago is because I needed answers. I needed somewhere else to, to go to try to find some answers, and so I've been hanging around this Hope Church for a while, now, and I want you to know you people are weird. And I go, I know. And he said, I want you to know this isn't a perfect church. And I said, oh, I know that too. Because I'm the pastor and we're not perfect. And he said, but neither am I. And then this guy, this guy starts to weep. I've never seen a biker weep before. It was odd. He said, but people here know my name. Right, Patrick? People here know my name, and they, they know my story. And whenever I come, people call me by my name, and they look me in the eyes, and they loved me, and they accepted me right where I was. And he said, I want you to know that because of a bunch of broken, imperfect followers of Jesus, I'm here today. I walked in jaded, but I'm standing here today with the hope of Jesus Christ living inside of me. I am a changed man. And I think we hugged, and I'd never hugged a biker dude before, but it was awesome. And I will never forget that moment because I, I just love telling stories like that because that's why we exist as a church for people like Roger and people maybe like you that you're on the outside looking in of church and you want nothing to do with it. But people come stumbling in and whatever their condition they're in and they discover the love of Jesus Christ and because of the love they love, end up loving Jesus, they start to love his church as well and they realize, wait a minute, if this is a bunch of hypocrites, actually I, I just fit right in because I'm one too. And your pastor is too. And that's why we exist to be a church for people that don't like church and they discover that they end up loving Jesus and his church. Maybe it's time to look down and be done with the cynicism. To give Jesus a second look, to give church a second chance, to, to look at it not with a critical spirit, but with an open heart to say, how can I be a part of this broken group of people, this messed up group of people? Every single one of us has 
issues. So don't stay there. Don't stay jaded. Don't stay a cynic. Maybe it's time to give Jesus a second chance. God can change the hardest of hearts. Amen? If you're apathetic to this whole thing today, (laughs) Jesus can change your heart too. If he can change Roger, he can certainly change an atheist like Lee Strobel. And so back to the story, after a couple years of doing this research and looking under every rock, leaving no stone unturned, figuring out why in the world (laughs) would there be all this evidence supporting the resurrection if it wasn't true, he keeps running up against it. After argument after argument with his wife, well, don't miss this, the same wife that never stopped praying for him. And I know that's maybe a reality for some of you today in your families. There's members kind of on either side of this maybe represented by these different identities. There's some members of your family that are skeptics. There's some that are jaded. She never stopped praying for him because what's impossible for humans is totally possible for the resurrection power of Jesus. Amen? She never stopped praying for God to soften his heart, and because of it, watch as he encounters the love of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look. All right, God. You win. Your love wins. And for Lee, it was that moment when God's love became real, the same way it did for Mary at the tomb, the way, same way it did for my friend Roger. Is it real for you today? Or are you just going through the motions? Is it real for you? Because you, it can be if you, if you open up your heart to it. That moment where it goes from being a sermon that a pastor preached that you heard once to the defining reality of your life that you are loved and known. Every part of your story, the good and the bad and the ugly, every part of your story is known and yet you are loved madly by the God of the universe. That should radically change and alter the direction and course of your life today. Some of you are saying, John, that's great and that's good and everything, but I'm not so much a skeptic. I'm not so much jaded. You see, I'm good. I I got a great life. I got a great family. I got a great house. We're going to go home. We're going to celebrate Easter together today. I'm, I'm fine. And that would be true unless there was one identity, one sticky name tag that's on every single one of us that actually gets put on us at birth. And it's the reality for all of us of the grave. You see, what I didn't show you in the film is that right before that scene, in the middle of his research, Lee's dad tragically dies. And for those of you, men in particular, that have had your father die, you know the gaping hole that can leave in your life, especially for love. And it was for Lee. Because now here's the strongest man in my life, and he's dead. He's, he's gone. And so, men, we run around, particularly we look for love in all sorts of different ways because we never got it. We never heard the words from our earthly father, I love you. And Lee just weeps at his father's funeral because he thinks it's the end. He looks at it, he says, death is the end. But it doesn't have to be. It's not the final word. And for us today, we all have that sticky note on us that says one day we're going to... Life is really short, folks. 
and it can be gone like that. And I want to challenge you this morning, and I want to ask you this question very seriously. What's your plan for eternity? If you think that this is all there is, you're going to miss out. Eternity is a really long time, and we have no hope. We are dead, the Bible says, in our sin, in our transgressions. We are dead in our sin. That's the end of the story for us. Death is the end of the story. Even if you could care less about Jesus today, that's a reality. That's an identity that we all have to face. There is a reality that as we stare into the grave, there are two things that you'll never be able to defeat on your own. No matter how smart or intelligent you are, no matter how apathetic you are to this whole thing, no matter what your GPA is, what your job is, how strong or tough you are today, you will never be able to defeat the grave on your own. Unless there's Easter. Unless Jesus taking all of your sin and your guilt and your shame that we deserved and paying the penalty for us took that to the cross and then came walking out of his own grave. And that means today that death is not the end of the story for those who are in Christ, which is literally what it means to be a Christian, is to be in Christ. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin and your past and your mistakes. He sees Jesus. And Paul says if we have been united with him in a, re- in a death like his, then certainly we are united with him in a resurrection like his. When Jesus died, you died, and your past died, and your mistakes died, and your cynicism, and your jadedness, and your apathy dies as well today. And you can rise again to a new life with Jesus Christ. This is the new identity that you can step into Death is not the end of the story, which means the cross has the final word. The empty cross and the empty tomb have the final word. Not your sin, not your death, not the darkness and evil that fills your Facebook scroll or the evening news that gets worse and worse and worse. It's not the end. The cross has the final word. Not the cancer that's plaguing your family today, and you think, that's the end, and I'm so scared of death. You don't have to be, because Jesus stared death in the face and said, death Where is your sting? You have no power. You have no victory anymore. And that's the joy of Easter. We get to live forever. And someday I'm going to be standing there and you're all going to come through and I'm going to say, you were there, 11 o'clock service, 2018. I told you so. I told you it's awesome. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. I told you so. The resurrection says whatever you're facing today, the worst thing is never the final thing. Amen? The worst thing is never the final thing, even the identity that we bring with us today. And if Jesus can take your death and change it to life, certainly he can take your bitter, jaded heart and fill you with hope today. And he can take even the worst of skeptics and change you into an all-in believer in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus has the power to change your identity and give you a new name today, and that's alive. Now and forever. And Jesus looks you in the eyes the same way he did Lee, the same way that he did Mary. And he looks you in the eyes and he calls your name this morning and says, this is for you. It's the power of your name spoken in love. And that's why you have a name tag on because I don't know your name. But the risen one, Jesus Christ, knows every single one of you better than you know yourself. And so today, we're gonna celebrate communion. And when you come up, 
to receive, your communion server is going to look you in the eyes and say your name. Your name, spoken in love. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. Easter is for you. And if you're wondering, if you're new to church, if you're wondering what this whole communion thing is about, I got some really good news. Let me tell you about it. Let's stand together. See, Jesus was with his followers, just like we are here today. Jesus is with us. And right before he went to the cross out of love, he held up a, a big loaf of bread and he said, you guys, don't, don't miss this. This bread is like my body that's literally going to be broken on a cross. This is how much I love you. And you see this wine? This wine is like my blood that's literally going to be shed for you on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins so that nothing would ever come between you in a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is for you. And so communion is simply remembering that. Jesus said, every time you do this, just remember the depths of my love for you. Communion isn't some weird churchy, hokey pokey magic thing. It's Jesus. He's literally here and he's tapping you on the shoulder today. And so when you come up for communion, it's not some self-righteous move saying I'm better than everybody else. You don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. And that's the point. Getting in line for communion today is saying, God, you win. Your love wins. And I'm another sinner in need of grace that's getting in line this morning. And so before we do that, I want to invite us to pray together this prayer that Jesus taught us that reminds us, no matter what your earthly parents are like, you have a loving Father. And Jesus teaches us to pray to him. Let's pray together on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can have a seat, and I'll invite our communion assistants forward this morning that will soon find out your name. And so you can simply come to the station that you're closest to, that you're led to. For those of you that are upstairs, the ushers will show you where you need to go as well. We're not going to forget about you out there. But when you come up, we ask that you would receive the wafer, and we're going to do it, this fancy word called intinction. And it literally means take the bread and dip it in the, the wine, the first cup, the darker color, the second cup, the lighter color, the grape juice. For those of you that need allergy-free elements, those are available to my right, to your left up here, or just let your server know. Communion is open. It is open. Jesus' love is for you this Easter. Come get in line and receive this resurrection power and love. All is ready.